You are watching the Directing Animation Livecast, hosted by Scott Weiser. I've worked on more than 30 projects as a director or animator, both short and feature length, and my favorite projects have been these books, which I wrote, illustrated, and pitched in several different studios as feature films. One of my greatest supporters on both of these Kickstarter projects were actually Kevin Lima and his wife, Britta Chapman. Kevin Lima started as an animator at Disney. Actually, I think you started somewhere else before that, but you, you worked up your way up to an anima animation at Disney, and then you a director at both Disney, DreamWorks, and other studios. And now Kevin has his own production studio called Twas Entertainment, where they just premiered a film at Sundance called Come Away. It was Brenda's first live-action film, and it was wonderful to see that at Sundance and uh, with you guys. So say hi, uh, Kevin. Hello. It's nice to be here. Oh, it's wonderful to have you. Did I get... I, I think I kind of butchered your uh, intro there. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. We'll talk about it as we, as we get into it this morning. Yeah. Was there anything you wanted to add to that? <laughs> oh, my. Uh, I think you got it. You're basically right. You corrected yourself with that. I did not start at Disney, actually. I actually was working at a bunch of other places before that. And uh, went on to Disney, went into directing at Disney, went into live action, directed uh, live action at Disney, and now I have my own company. Yeah. And uh, so what has been, but first, you're with these big companies. We've covered this in other episodes where these companies have lots of money, they have you know, lots of time for you to develop these things. And they have, uh, they have lots of agendas. They have lots of agendas. So there's all mm -hmm. these pros and cons to working at a big studio. So what has been the biggest benefit and challenge of starting Twas Entertainment? Oh, boy. We're a pretty small company to begin with. We're not, we're not near the size of most of the companies I've made. Um, there's just four of us at the moment. The biggest hurdle, I think, has been dealing with the infrastructure of having a company. Yeah. For me, and you know, I'm not a big open up the books and do expense reports kind of guy. I can keep track <laughs> of all that. Yeah. So that's been a little bit of a, of, a, of a challenge, only because I don't want to do it, so I put it off. The things I really love about doing it is working with the whole array of artists, kinds of writers, different kinds of storytellers, and attempting to, um, to get projects off the ground. And one of the things that Brendan and I really wanted to do when we started the company was that we knew a lot of really talented people who, for one reason or another, weren't getting breaks. And we thought, let's, you know, let's embrace those folks. Let's embrace our friends. If we can do some storytelling together and, uh, you know, using our success to hopefully jumpstart uh, someone else's success. Huh. That's wonderful. I, I noticed that, you know, ever since I reached out to you, I don't even know how long ago, I think I started commenting on Brenda's blog. She was writing posts about women and challenges in that arena, uh, how young girls should be able to have pockets in their pants and just things like that. And I was commenting <laughs> on her blog. And then ever since then, you know, we've, we've had several meet meetups and you both have been very, very supportive. And it's, it's been a surprising level of support. What do you think drives that for you, both surprising? you and Brenda? You really think it's surprising? Um, which is nice to hear. Yeah. I think what drives it us is that we, we recognize that we were given chances and that Success, especially in the film business, is partly based on having connections, who you know. Yeah. And we felt like if we could, if we could help a few people who we felt had the ability to follow through, because that's a big piece of it, being able to follow through, have the ability to, you know, to do what you say you want to do. 
Right. If we could find a couple of those people and give back in a way, it seemed like it was something that we wanted to do. It, it is pretty rare. I, especially at that stage where I, I wasn't where my skills are now, I would reach right. out to a lot of people. And you were the two that reached back the most often. So thank you for that. It was oh, yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Well, you're welcome. Yeah. You're welcome. I often say to people that, uh, you know, that want to break or they want to direct or they say, how do I do that? I put it back in their, in their, you know, back in their lap. And I say, you, you, know, you typically say, I'm not going to do it for you. Right. You have to do it. And I think, Scott, you are pretty persistent on you know wanting something and we recognize that oh he you know he's going to make things happen for himself and you have i mean just look at the books that you put together films that you've made with with very little support from what i can see so that that's <laughs> yep. your drive i think that's one of the things that i responded to oh he he's going to put in the work to make this happen because in the long run that's what it is yeah when you're in the situation now where You've got to put in the work. I mean, the company depends on you. We, you know, even even when we weren't, we didn't have a company. We had to put in the work. It was always about um, when I wanted to direct. You know, I was told, "Well, there's not enough room. Basically, we're planned out for the next ten years. We don't have another space." And what I did was I went off and proved to them that I could do it. I went into, you know, I went into community theater and I directed a couple of shows. They saw that I was doing that. Yeah. saw my, you know, my, my want for it. And I was willing to actually do some things to make that happen, to show them that I was worthy. And, um, you know, ultimately it, it happened for me. And yeah. I think because of that sort of continual kind of push. To, well, thank you for correcting my, uh, my incorrect statement there because well, yeah, what? well, well, I said it, I made it sound like you have to do more work now than you did when you were in the studios. And, and obviously that's, True. And, and actually, it's very interesting to hear that perspective. It's a different kind of work, I'd say, when you're owning a studio, right? So yeah. I have to pay bills, right? So I've got employees and I have to pay them. So I have to make sure that we are, you know, that we are either set up at a studio or that we have the ability because we've produced something to continue moving forward. Yeah. So, so it's an added pressure. Right. It's going to be interesting to see what happens when we, when we actually get something into production. We have a couple of things in development, but when we get to production, I want to direct. So when you add that to the pile, what happens? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I sure, I sure hear you. It's entrepreneurialism is, is interesting beast for sure. Right. And it, it, it is a consuming beast. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I like what you said about when you were at Disney, you went direct to those things on the side, the things on the side where those things then came back and influenced your career. And that's actually how I've done a lot of what I have done. Like the books were written while I was working at a studio and I would wake up at 5 a.m. and write the book. When it right. became a business, it was harder to separate those things. But right. over time, I have been able to, again, I wake up at, woke up at 5 a.m. yesterday and I started writing on the book. And then I come and I work on client work during the day. And then, yeah, so I, I think that that's a really inspiring tip for people. But a lot of times you kind of have to have a side hustle. You have to do it, right? Yeah. No one's going to give it to you because you say you want it. You, have to prove <laughs> it you can do it. Well, how many people want it? Like, I, I know thousands of people who thousands, say they want it. Thousands, but very few do it, right? Yeah. So people say, I want to be a director. And I say, go direct something. <laughs> no one's going to make you a director because you put your hand up and say, pick me. I want to be a director. Right. You have to show the world that you're worthy yeah. of being chosen. 
Well, one of the reasons for that is because if, if they were to put you in that position and you're not used to that level of work, you would you'd be thrown into the deep end and you would likely drown. So it takes it takes yeah, some time you have for to be you able to... to deliver, right? At the end yeah. of the day, you have to be able to deliver. Yeah. Because that's what people want. You know, that's why you engage with other with other folks. That's why other folks hire you to do a job. So, yeah. Because you can deliver. So you have to prove to them that you can do that. So if you want to direct, go direct. You can direct a movie with your iPhone, right? There's nothing <laughs> yeah. stopping you from telling the story visually. What do you think of the difference mentioning iPhone? What do you, you both directed in, oh, I didn't even list the films you directed. <laughs> Some <laughs> of the biggest, <laughs> most notable ones are a goofy movie, Tarzan, <laughs> Enchanted. Now, Enchanted was a blend of animation done by James Baxter and then the live action and then obviously the effects, which is another layer of animation in CG. Right. Right. So that was really a big joy for me making that movie because I got to take all the things I love, combine them into one one piece. Oh yeah. And I look for another opportunity to do that constantly. Well it just it had again multiple different types of animation. Right. 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 Which, there's actually a project that I have right now that Brendan and I wrote. The Cartoon Touch? Yeah, called the Cartoon Touch. Yeah. And um, it combines every kind of animation. So every medium combined in film, which should be which should be an interesting uh, endeavor to produce if if someone ever takes it on. Is it stop motion and CG and hand drawn? Just those three, or are there different styles no, within each of those everything. as well? Everything, Scott. We're gonna try to combine, you know, oil painting animation oh. and you know stop motion puppets and claymation and two D and CGI and all different sort of, you know, styles. It's a big, it turns into a big chaotic world of every cartoon style mesh. Oh, that sounds wonderful. It'll yeah, it's very, it's very, very cool. And I, I mean, I'm pushing so hard for it to be, you know, to come into the world. Yeah. So, yeah, well, it idea. was. It's that, expensive. That's the, that's one of the issues with it, that it's a price tag. Right. And that's another one of those hurdles of, of having your own company, right? It was greenlit by Fox Entertainment. And then different aspects of life took that off the table, right? Yeah, there have been so many, you know, the, the changeovers at Fox, which is now called 20th Century Studios, Scott. Oh, okay. Um, it's no longer called Fox. Oh. Um, you know, a lot of changes took place, and there's been big upheavals. And in that process, we've gotten the project back. Which is wonderful so that we, you got it back, that they didn't just... So actually, we just went out with it yesterday. We sent the script out, and we put together a lookbook. So hopefully we'll hear something soon. Just send it out to multiple people you didn't actually go out and pitch yet. No, when you have a, when you have a script, there's there's no need to pitch. If someone's really interested based on the script, then you go in and you have a conversation. How many projects in your experience did you have to pitch before someone picks one up? That's a hard that's a hard question. I know <laughs> it's anyway, such a tough question. I mean, it's hard because there's no there's no one way, right? You could go out with your very first project and get it picked up. Right. So we've been out so far with probably 10 projects with our company, and we've had two of them picked up. Out of 10, um, you've had two picked up. We've had two. And we've gone in in all different kinds of ways. We've gone in with books. We've gone in with originals. We've gone in with writers, um, where we've actually spent you know, a good six months to a year figuring out what the project was before taking it out. And because we have a first look deal with 20th Century, we have to bring them our projects first. Oh, so, so you first. still have a connection to 20th century? We do. We're still in the contract with them, yes. Oh, okay. 
Interesting. That didn't go away. Just the, the just the machinations of how everything worked internally with being bought by Disney and what Disney's expectations are, uh-huh. how the group at at uh, 20th Century has changed and evolved over the, the year since uh, since they were bought. Those all affected sort of how we interact with the studio. That's fascinating. Interesting. And and another reason that's a big. A tough question, right, is because, again, there are some people who the first thing they pitch, it it takes. And then there are things like, right. I know that Phineas and Ferb took about 13 years to pitch. Every time they'd pitch it, people thought it was too smart for children, too brainy. Oh, really? Yeah. And now it's like... So, 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 so the market had to catch up with their pitch? Yeah, yeah. And then it kind of established, a, I think, a benchmark. Now a lot of this stuff coming out, there's a, this level of of intellectualism that you didn't used to see in children's cartoons. So, wow. Yeah. And That's I love cool. that show. I, I could watch that cool. show every day. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it was brilliant how they took this. They kind of had a formula for their show. Like here's our format, but every show they would break the format somehow. And so right. you're always like watching for how they're going to break the format. At least that's what I was watching for being a story structure geek. But <laughs> yeah, it was, it was always fun. They were always reverse. And you probably relate to the characters in some way. You probably have an affection. Oh yeah. For the Every day they try something new, right? Right. They try right. stop motion, then they try CG, then they try claymation, uh-huh. then, you know. <laughs> right. And so that's exciting right. as a as a creator. Right. So yeah. What are your reasons for Twas Entertainment focusing on family friendly entertainment? Because it's what's in our hearts, right? It's what mm-hmm. we are always attracted to first and foremost. You know, I've been pushing to do family films, you know, for, for forever, really. Yeah. But, um, you know, after Enchanted, that's what I went into the marketplace trying to make happen is, um, you know, I was always attracted to some things, films that were less cynical, films that whole, you know, a lot of times you think of family films and people think, oh, those are films for kids. That's not true. No. Not no. true at all. Like the, the medium has evolved so much that now a Marvel movie is considered a family film. Something that the whole family goes to together. And that was my sense is how do I entertain that, you know, that demographic, the four, the four quadrants all in one film. Animation does it, when it does it well, it, it hits every single corner of that market. And I thought, why aren't we doing that with, with live action? Let's try to, you know, let's try to grab a hold of that in a bigger way. But unfortunately, in 2007, the marketplace wasn't open for that. Yeah. Really didn't want to take on family entertainment at that moment. And it's taken some time for it to evolve. Now it's an explosion. Yeah. It's, you know, everybody wants giant family films. Disney does it better than anybody, right? It's the whole family into the theater. So that was, you know, that was the reason why, and mostly because it just lived in my heart, you know, yeah. the place I always went to. The ideas I have are all like, like we are just talking about the cartoon touch. It is a film for the whole family, right? It's this film that you can go to see if you're, if you're six, or if you're 96. Yeah. And I love how you started and ended with, it's in my heart. I love that that, that is your answer. Because, I mean, if you were to ask me that question, I, I'd say the same thing. You know? right. And I have friends it's who... What I toward, right? It's what it just naturally happens. And I decided at a certain point not to fight that. You know, a lot of people come out of animation saying, I want to do something gritty and I want to make a horror movie. Yeah. I, you know, so they're fighting against what they, you know, what, what they've been doing. And maybe it's because a horror movie is in their heart and they're, they're actually fighting against that making animation. Yeah. But the opposite, I love what I do. And I had to fight, like I think about Enchanted, 
And the first drafts of that movie were very, very cynical. And I mean, the, the, the way the plot, you know, unfolded was unfolded was much more like a, I don't know, more like a bachelor party or revenge of the nerds or something that was much more kind of had a cynical edge to it. Yeah. And they were pushing for it to be more like Shrek. And I came in and said, no, 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 no. Let's make a love letter to Disney. And I had to prove to them, speaking of pitching, I came in, they wanted me to direct the movie and I had to pitch a right turn to them right. and said, let's, let's create a love letter to Disney. And they gave me a certain amount of time and I filled a whole floor of a production building with artwork and took them through what I thought the story should be in a visual format. And, you know, ultimately they, they, they reluctantly at first, I think there were those at Disney who want to actually, they, they took it on. And we made something that, you know, that was embraced in a different kind of way by the audience. It was embraced because of its heart, because of its purity, because of its, you know, its love for the medium, its love for Disney, really, when it comes down to. Oh, uh, yeah. So I, I love that film. You know, that went to going against what most people thought it should be. Yeah. One of my favorite parts of that film is when Giselle's so innocent. That when she finds out that lady is getting divorced, she starts to cry. You know, yeah. the saddest just, thing she could possibly ever think of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Beyond yeah. her comprehension. Right. It's got this beauty to it that, and I also love that. Yeah, the world is is able to corrupt, but it doesn't really corrupt her. Her eyes open. It doesn't. No. But she doesn't no, become one of corrupt. One great things about that movie is that she doesn't really change. She grows. Yeah woman she becomes real in a sense but um but it doesn't corrupt her value she's able to hold on to who she is yeah and in fact the movie's called enchanted because she enchants the world right she doesn't give up on who she is she spreads it she spreads that joy throughout throughout the world and changes people's hearts yeah <laughs> um, awesome cool i think we kind of have covered this a little bit what are your what are the right ingredients for a successful film? Oh boy, you're asking these questions that are impossible to answer, man. We've got to dive deep <laughs> because it's different for so many. For every film, it's different, right? right? I don't think one formula. I think probably you know, no matter what you're what you're attempting to say, I think probably truth is the most important element. Being mm. truthful to what you are portraying finding a way to create truth within the world, truth, you know, because, because Enchanted is much different than, you know, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> They're two different beasts, but they yeah. each create a truth for their character, yeah. a ground truth. And, yeah. you know, and they have, and they have something, they have something to say that, that rings, you know, resounds in a way that, that, feels universal or people can understand even if you are not even if you're not like that even if you're not the most joyful person in the world you can watch enchanted and understand come away with oh there's some truth in this message for that character you know yeah. she lived her truth and she holds on to her truth and that is and that is i think the element that i that i think makes the most successful of films and how and how the film is told visually hangs upon that same you know, that same guideline. Yeah. I don't, I don't think there is the way to say how to make a, how do you make a successful film? Otherwise every film would be successful. 
And, yeah, I know. Uh, That's a good. But point. there are some, you know, but there are some things that I think you 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 have to do in order to touch people's hearts. And actually, like like I told you before we started, you, we might skip around a little bit. So you actually okay. covered what we call the get wiser moment. <laughs> oh, really? Uh, yeah, yeah. And you're going to tell me that usually comes at the very end. It does, but we'll, we'll just go there now because that's where we are. <laughs> and that question is, what moral responsibility, if any, does an animated filmmaker have to the world culture? And usually we get into a discussion about truth and about how do you know what the truth is? Uh, how do you best explore that? Do you bring your your preconceived notions of what you think is true to the table, or do you actually explore and discover along with your character as you write? I think it's a combination of both, because I can't, I can't help but come to the table with some innate truth. Right. I may learn something along the way. I may discover something about myself in the process, but that's another truth, right, that I discover along the way. Right. Yeah. Um, but, I, but I show up at the table leaving a specific thing about those characters in that story. And they usually, usually almost always are, are, are things that I have, have lived through, have experienced. I may paint the world with, with, other, with other people I know or people I've experienced or things I've collected. But at its heart, it is always, you know, it always comes from something that I believe. Yeah. Right. And, I, and I, there's no right or wrong answer to this question so far <laughs> so far it's more right. of an explanation it's more of something that i'm trying to build into my brand this idea of truth and of taking i, I like how you said you, you talked about taking your past and kind of meshing it where you are now and discovering things by combining different things from the past this person that i met here and this experience i had there and they all start to kind of come together right. i think that's where i i tend to discover the truth is maybe there's something I didn't understand about that really hard thing I went through three years ago. Right. Maybe by revisiting that through a, the eyes of this avatar, this character that, that isn't me, thing of value from that experience, see it with, with better eyes. Well, you are a very enlightened person. I, I think most of us start the journey with, with, a, with, a, with a spark of excitement, something that, that sort of like gathers momentum in us. And along the way, we discover there's no place like home, right? Yeah. <laughs> Pointy example. But I find that going, you know, at the path leads me to recognition, um, not, rec not personal recognition, not, 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 not recognition in the world, but, but recognition of, oh, this is something that I've been going through. How do I, how do I illuminate that in a, in a bigger way as I do draft after draft of a screenplay? So I think you, you, you gather momentum and truths as you, as you work. I, I love to be surprised. You know, I went into the Cartoon Touch thinking, I'm going to make this great romp about, you know, about everything in the world turning into a cartoon. And at the end of the day, what I learned was it's a story about, you know, dealing with the messiness of life. That, 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 that you have to live an authentic real life in order to truly live. And part of that means being, you know, that you have to embrace being real. And being real comes with ups and downs and ins and outs and all around. Yeah. Um, and that becomes the journey of my main character. I didn't oh. start out wanting to do that. I didn't say, that's the story I want to tell and I'm going to put something on top of it. I wanted to tell this big, you know, I thought... What can I write that, that, that the, the market will buy from Kevin Lima? 
<laughs> yeah, that's how it started, truly. And I had this idea of doing, you know, of the, of, of of this concept, this big concept. And along the way, I found the truth of the story, which actually elevates the story and makes it worth telling. Yeah. Well, and, you know? and you're very kind to say that I'm very enlightened in listening to you. My process actually sounds a lot similar or similar to yours than, than uh-huh. it does to being okay. some great enlightened person. Uh, I, I generally do start with a spark, a notion about something, something to an idea. And then right. in that idea, then I start to discover. Right. Yeah. And, and, and it doesn't happen all at once. I mean, that's no. what that's probably what I've learned to embrace about it is allow it to happen slowly and allow it to happen gradually over time. And don't try to force it. If something's not happening, then then go somewhere else. Oh, Do yeah. something. Come back to it. It'll it'll it'll. It's not going to go away. It's going to live in your head. Yeah, we have that process called gestation, right, where our brains go over things for us. Right, right. And when an Absolutely. artist says it came to me, it's often because that artist is a really hard worker. And one of those things they worked on, their brain just kept wanting to work on for them. So, right, right. They, they yeah, I think I read something recently that talked about genius and that there's no such thing as genius. Well, yeah. It's yeah. actually a whole lot of hard work that led up to that moment of epiphany and that it's been sitting with you for years and years and years. You know, most of the people we consider geniuses were, were incredibly hard workers. And you know, took up took a long path to get to that moment of genius that right. we see. So because you're a hard worker. <laughs> yeah. Right. I'm also so fading it speaks, into darkness. It, it looks like to your truth. It does. It does. It I've it's, definitely experienced that for sure. It's wonderful. So you told me years ago that you had this process, this kind of a formula for success that you've often pitched of qualifying yourself of telling you the universe what you'd like to do, and then of being ready to seize the opportunity when it comes around. And that was really inspiring to me. I, I took it to heart, and I just kind of obviously kept it there. I remember it. <laughs> right. Wow. How has that you changed? remember it better than I do. <laughs> <laughs> How has it changed, though? Has it changed at all since, since we chatted there at DreamWorks? Or? It's, it's only changed. So the, the process hasn't changed because, because it, it, it was what I did in order to get where I am. What's changed for me is that certain components of it are just innate now, right? So I, I know I can deliver at the back end of, of, of you know, of, of making a movie. Yeah. So I don't have to still, and it's not a, not a hundred percent true because I still learn and I'm still ravenous for information. I still constantly, you know, looking at the world and looking at people and searching through stories. But the piece of it that, that I don't worry about so much is I've, I've, I've done a, a fair amount of the hard labor schooling that it takes in order to be, to, to be able to deliver when the moment comes. I still ask everyone I meet for an opportunity. Yeah. I, you know, I still am looking for the in to tell the stories I want to tell, no matter who I'm sitting down with. In fact, now with a company, I actually make appointments to go in and sit down with people there my ideas, what I want to make. I've gained a certain amount of, you know, I've, I've made enough movies that people, when, when you call them, they say, sure, come on in. Uh, because they know I've delivered in the past for other people, right? So for other companies, for other studios. So that piece of it is easier to make happen. But, but, I, but, but I would say that it's still, it's still the same process. I'm still always looking to learn something about the world that I can ultimately share. I'm still asking continually 
for someone to say yes. <laughs> and um, there's still an element of luck when you meet that person who connects with your vision and has access to to actually produce your move, right? So, yeah. so those things are still all true. They just exist on a different different level. Right. Well, and luck is an interesting thing. I there's a book called The Third Door, and the, the person who wrote the book ran into this guy named QI. I don't know if it's E I or how you would pronounce okay. his name, but he works at Microsoft. And he gave the analogy of how luck is like a bus comes around every so often and you just have to have the right fare to get on the bus. What do you think of that? Yeah. I mean, it seems, I mean, it's, it's, it's all the same analogy, right? It's still, yeah. it's all the same, you know, being ready to get on the bus. The fare is the work that you've done, right? To get on that bus when it comes around, you have to go to the bus stop and wait for the bus, which is like asking for an opportunity. And when that bus shows up and you're ready to take, you know, take the ride, um, you're going to hop on that bus with your fare, which gives you the, the knowledge and ability to, to actually take that bus ride. Yeah. yeah. It, seems, it seems pretty comparable. Something that's really cool about you that I just remembered as you were talking. Uh, <laughs> as I looked through your Wikipedia page, there were all these projects that, that were, the gist of it was Kevin Lima almost directed this project. Then Kevin Lima almost directed this project. You know, ever since Enchanted, it yeah. seems like yeah. Kevin had Monkeys of Mumbai at, at DreamWorks, and then, you know, that project was shelved. And, and yet you're still doing it. You're still trekking along. And I think that's really remarkable. It's inspiring to me. What do you think it is? It's, been a, it's been a hard 13 years since Enchanted. I've, I, I, one of the abilities I have is perseverance. I just don't know how to give up. <laughs> Sometimes I wish I knew how to give up because it would make life a lot easier. But I keep... I keep at it. And um, most things what I've discovered are out of my control. So I, so I come on to Monkeys of Mumbai, a big animated movie at uh, DreamWorks. Uh, we're developing it for two and a half years. It looks beautiful. We're ready to go into production. The whole studio was excited about working on it. We have A.R. Rahman from, from Bollywood and Steven Schwartz, the poster of Wicked. Yeah. Um, the thing looks beautiful. You can see some artwork online that people have put up. And what happens in that moment is that the head of the studio sells his studio. And in order to do that, or wants to sell his studio, and in order to do that, he writes down $400 million project. That has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with someone else's agenda. So a project, and I got paid handsomely for it, the project goes away. And that's a great that's a great loss and a great pain. It was it was unbelievably painful to go through that. But having gone through that, I learned I have to own my own material, and that's where Twas Entertainment came from. Mm -hmm. That the way to not be subject to someone else's whim is to have a have a sense of ownership. Yeah. So first thing I did is I went out and Brenda and I I said let's write something together because she lost her project at DreamWorks as well. Yes. She was writing. Which I didn't even and, know about. Um, I saw all of your stuff. Never got to see what she was doing. Yeah. So she lost the project. I mean, they were I mean, close to $400 million worth of projects went away. And um, we decided to write together. And I had the idea of the cartoon touch, and we started writing. Hmm. We had to own it. And then along came the opportunity to set up a production shingle at Fox before the whole Disney thing came down. And, uh, you know, and we did, uh, we took that, we took that opportunity. 
gave us the opportunity to, to develop more movies. And then I have no control over Disney buying Fox. That's not something I have control over, but it happened. So you figure out how to, how to turn that, I guess you'd call it maybe a liability in this, this circumstance for us and turn into an asset, right? Right. How do we take the projects that we developed and Fox has passed on and set them up in other places, create yeah. other opportunities? Uh, but it's really, it really, you do really need perseverance because there are, you know, this was a 13-year struggle to get a movie made. Yeah. They developed a lot of movies and they just didn't happen for one reason or another. I, I love that lesson of you wanted to own it. So that it gets shelved at some studio and, and you can right. still do something with it someday. It gives you a, a right. collection of things. And that, that actually was a lesson I learned when I pitched Vanishing Ink up at Braun Studios, the last studio I've worked at. Uh-huh. Luckily, their, their producer was just so, he, he just knows his stuff. He was very, very helpful. And he said, you know, we could give you a dollar for this book. That's probably all we could give you right now. And then it's just going to sit on our <laughs> shelf and you can't do anything with it. He's like, it's oh, really? not worth it to you to give you us your project. We like it. We have several other projects at this level that we want to do first. So keep it and go make more. And that's kind of what inspired right. uh, my, my new journey. So right. that's, that's wonderful of hearing those similar, similar threads of truth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Another truth, right? Yeah. So. Yep, the truth I've, I, I learned and, you know, I've, I've learned it as part of in my family as well as, you know, working in the business is that I only have control over my own destiny. Yeah. I try to influence other people um, or, you know, or circumstances, but I truly only have control over my own. Yeah. So I can choose how to deal with any, anything that comes my way. Maybe that'll make it into a movie someday. Yeah. Sounds like a good idea to me. <laughs> so now the answer, this could be a yes or no question and it could be a, an expansive question, but I often ask what is the biggest thing that us as creative leadership, once we get the opportunity to be creative leadership can do to make the industry a better place to work. That's not a yes or no question, by the way. Um, well, the yes or no question would be, can we do anything? I think we can. To make to make our industry a better place, or to yeah. make the world a better. Place? What are you? You're talking about the industry. This is an industry perspective question. Yeah. You know, I think we do have a responsibility to to the people we work with and the people we gather around us as we as we as as, as we make films or you know or and, and if we make anything really. So. I feel an obligation to those people to be truthful with them, to not hear that word keeps coming back to, uh, <laughs> to be as honest as possible, to be open, to share when I can be straightforward, be to compete, to, you know, to be completely open, whether I have to deliver good news or bad news. But I think we do have that. I'm not sure we have an obligation to industry as a whole, other than to, create the best work that we can create so that there's a, there's a sense of health yeah. within our industry. And we can, you know, we, we can open doors to explore things that, uh, that maybe haven't been explored yet. I don't know. Do you have a perspective on it? Do you, I mean, you, you said you do believe that we have a obligation to the industry. Or, or that I, I do believe that we can do something. I actually, in listening to you, something that I gained that my brain started thinking about 
was, yes, it's very difficult to impact the entire industry with, right. uh, with one small action, right? But this idea of let's make this production the best it can be. Make it a great place for artists to work. Let's, let's be great to art- artists, be honest, be truthful, like that word that just kept coming around in this conversation. Right. And, uh-huh. and at that point, then all those artists might go and work on something else. I think that's where it starts to happen. Is where each and hopefully they bring what they've learned from your leadership, right? That it's exactly. that, that yes. created an environment that makes people feel safe, that makes people feel wanted, seen, you know, listened to. I think one of the one of the greatest skills that I've learned over time, I didn't have it to begin with, is the ability to listen. Yeah. Be able to hear what people are truly saying. Yeah. Um, you know, sit down together. And I think it's something that's sorely missing. In our in our industry is being able to hear beyond your own agenda, and there's, there's not always something you can do about it, but you can listen. You can sort of have a have a you know, have truthful ability to actually hear what people are saying and make people feel heard. So I think that, in a sense, is maybe what you're talking about is being able to, you know, if I can give if I can help someone feel like they were. They were heard, they were seen, that, uh, you know, even if things didn't go their way, that that's something they might bring with them into, you know, into their next job or when they become a leader, yeah. they could, you know, they can learn how to give that back to others and nurture, yeah. you know, nurture community. I love all that. It's, it's a really hard thing to do. It's, oh, a it's very, very hard. very hard. I'm learning over and over. And, and sometimes people conflate listening with, I hear you, right? <laughs> Well, I'm here talking to you. I must be listening, right? Because I heard what you said. Right. But oftentimes we have this this inner voice kind of trying to figure out what we're going to say. And, you know, trying right. to, to you, you mentioned agendas, trying to figure out how I'm going to accomplish the agenda. Well, I think right. in order for a person to feel like they're heard, your agenda has to be that, right? It has to be, I need to, I want to make sure that as I'm talking to this person that I heard them. Right. That I've helped them feel heard. Yeah, I, I love yeah. that. There's not always something you can do about it, right? There's not always, you don't always have the ability to act on it. You can be present, truly engaged, and that's, you know, that, that's meaningful. I love that. Thank you so much. So uh, it's time to end. It, 45 minutes just flew by. <laughs> really? Yeah. Really? We yeah. didn't even talk about a movie. Um, okay. <laughs> um, okay. Awesome. Ooh. Well, it's been a wonderful conversation. And uh, is there anywhere you'd like people to follow your work to connect with you? I haven't done any of that yet. I'm so bad. Everyone keeps telling me, you have to get on this. You know, you have to get on Instagram. You have to put up a website. Well, actually, I have to build a website because I, because I have to uh, actually support a, the, the Twas Entertainment trademark. Right. Um, so maybe I, soon. Maybe there'll be something soon. I don't know if it's that you're bad or you're just less distracted than everyone <laughs> Uh, you know what? It might be that I'm not willing to give a piece of myself to. It. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so a lesson I've started learning moment, very slowly. You know, being in the moment and engaging with artists and creating stories that it just feels like an obligation. To yeah, you cut out right there after you said it feels like an obligation. That I'm not willing to take on. Yeah, I'm starting to want to give it away. <laughs> And uh, we can talk about that another time. Alrighty. Anyway, uh, until next time, enjoy. It was great talking to you. 
Great talking to you too. You have been watching the Directing Animation Livecast, hosted by Scott Weiser, produced by Lauren Chaikin, copyright Scott Weiser, LLC, 2019. Thank you.